You are listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always listen to the show live weekdays from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on WDEV AM and FM and streaming at WDEVradio.com. You can text in your thoughts 24-7 at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast-paced. The money was just burning a hole in Bill Belichick's pocket. He had to spend it, and as fast as possible. Opinionated. Of all the stopgap quarterbacks, Cam Newton was the best choice for the Patriots. Kudos to them getting it right. To the point. Socks will be better. They're still finishing in fourth. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas Show on a very busy Thursday right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We had day baseball today for the Red Sox, and the Sox riding a nine-game winning streak coming in were not able to get it to 10. Max Kepler did this for the Twins in the ninth inning. Evers. Swing and a fly ball, center field, sinking fast. It drops for a hit, and it's going to win the ball game. Gets too softly, and scoring the winning run is out of rise. The Twins end the Red Sox win streak with a 4-3 victory. A soft bloop single by Kepler in the ninth inning. His only hit of the series. And that was it for the game, and that's it for the win streak. Red Sox now 9-4. and four. On the year, Sox won nine straight, lose to the Twins today. They still take three of four from the Twins in Minneapolis. So Max Kepler wins it with the walk-off single off of Adam Adovino. A hugely busy show today right here on the Brady Farkas Show. I would be remiss real quick if I did not mention our friends over at the American Legion here in Waterbury who are doing their Thursday night dinner. They just brought me one, chicken parm. Chicken parm with an unbelievable cookie that I already ate with a buttered roll, and with a clam chowder soup with bacon. So if you're in the mood for a meal and you're not thinking, hey, like you don't want to cook tonight, you want to go get something go- good, affordable, and easy, the American Legion in Waterbury. It, I, I can attest to the smell. It smells delicious, and everything I've ever eaten there, which is every Thursday because I eat dinner there, it is delicious. So plenty to get to, but I had to mention my friends over at the American Legion in Waterbury doing their Thursday night dinner. Red Sox lose, and... Look, today's game was a great baseball game. Of course, we're disappointed that the Red Sox lost, but today's game was a great baseball game. The Red Sox were down 3 nothing. Then the Red Sox got off the deck, came back, and tied the game late in the eighth inning when Alex Verdugo did this after a 10-pitch at-bat. And the 3-2 pitch. Swing and a shot left field. Fair ball rolling down the line. Toward the corner, two runs have scored. Garlic bobbles the ball. Here comes Gonzalez, and he scores, and the game is tied. Wow, what an at-bat by Alex Verdugo. They lined it just inside the line. I think if Garlic picks it up in fog round initially, it might have to hold Marwin, but the Red Sox have battled back to tie it. Can you believe it? Well, that was that made it 3-3 in the eighth. Sox ultimately lost in the ninth. And look, I... I don't have much to say about this game other than the fact it was a good baseball game. It was And it was good all around. Michael Pineda pitched really well for Minnesota. 
The Red Sox came off the deck and loaded the bases against a good, tough reliever in Hansel Robles. And then Verdugo against a tough lefty, Taylor Rogers, did that. A 10-pitch at-bat, two strikes, laces one down the left field line. The team comes back. They had a chance to score in the ninth to take the lead, ultimately didn't. And then, you know, Adovino struggled in the bottom of the ninth, but Kepler gets himself off the deck and goes and wins the game for Minnesota, who salvages the series. It, there's not much to say other than it was a great baseball game. This was a great baseball game, even though the Red Sox did not win. So if you want to get in, you can. 802-585-3026. That is the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. We have a lot to get to. Adam Kaufman of WBZ News Radio in Boston will be with us in about 10 minutes. UVM basketball legend Anthony Lamb was on the Ryan Rossillo podcast and talked about his journey to the NBA, and we'll get to that. And we've got baseball trying out some new rules at the independent leagues, one of which I love, one of which I can't stand. So we'll talk about all of that. So we might as well get right to it. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas show were brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Swanton, Middlesex, and St. Albans and online at sticksandstuff.com. Independent of today's result, the Red Sox had won nine straight. I am coming to this conclusion now in the Red Sox. The Red Sox are a good team. There is no longer a question if the Red Sox are good. They have proven a bunch of of different things to me. Again, independent of today's result, they have proven a bunch to me in the early going in this season. They showed they could come back not only within the span of a game, but in within, within the course of a series. They get swept by Baltimore, and then they come right back, right the ship, and go, you know, start rolling against Tampa. So they've shown plenty of resilience. They've come from behind in several games to win, even though they lost today. Like they are just an uncomfortable team to play, and that shows me something. They've shown that they can beat who they're supposed to, Baltimore. They've shown that they can win in the division, Tampa. And then good teams take advantage of advantageous situations. Good teams take advantage of opportunities that are presented to them. The Minnesota Twins, I believe, are better than the Red Sox. I do, despite the results of the series. But the Twins were in a number of disadvantageous situations, and the Red Sox capitalized. Josh Donaldson doesn't play early in the series. Nelson Cruz doesn't play early in the series. Byron Buxton doesn't play late in the series. Andrelton Simmons goes on the COVID IL. Like, the Twins are missing guys, and the Red Sox capitalize and find a way to win. Good teams do that, okay? Bad teams can't overcome. Bad teams don't take advantage. Good teams do, and the Red Sox did. The Twins at their best I believe are better than the Red Sox at their best. But the Twins weren't at their best, and the Red Sox were able to take advantage of it. That is what good teams do. The Red Sox have won in extra innings. They've won in lessened innings. They won two seven-inning games yesterday in the doubleheader. They are a good team with good players, and I actually really like what Lou Merloni, who you heard on the broadcast, I really like what he had to say about this team. To me, the biggest difference is this. From the players... Including the manager, okay? Everyone's got something to prove this year. I think that's a really, really good point by Lou Merloni. Everyone on this team has something to prove. J.D. Martinez is motivated to prove he's not a 207 hitter with no power. Rafael Devers is out to prove he can stay in shape and maybe play some defense. Bobby Dahlbeck wants to prove that he belongs 
Kike Hernandez wants to prove he can play every day and not just be a gadget guy. Verdugo wants to prove that he can be a suitable uh, replacement for Mookie Betts. And you have Alex Cora, who's motivated to prove he can win without cheating. Like This team has a chip on its shoulder. This team has a chip on its shoulder, and so far it is carrying them through the first 13 games of the season. Again, independent of today's result, the Red Sox are a good team. My question is, as my question has been, because I thought the Red Sox had talent, my question is, do they have depth? Can they stay healthy? And that is where I worry. To me, this is not a question of if the Red Sox are good. The Red Sox at their best are good. But will they be able to be at their best all season? That is where I worry about them. I don't think they have great depth. I don't think they have guys that can come up and save the day. So can they stay healthy enough that they don't have to overcome? Because the Blue Jays, they lost their best prospect in Nate Pearson so far. George Springer, their biggest acquisition, he's been out for a while now. Teoscar Hernandez, who's one of their best outfielders, he's been on the COVID injured list. The Yankees have played without Zach Britton and Aaron Judge. Tampa Bay has its starting center fielder on the IL, multiple relievers, and a starting pitcher in Chris Archer. All these teams have dealt with injuries and or COVID issues. The Red Sox, fortunately, knock on wood, haven't had those issues yet. Can they keep avoiding them? Or can they overcome them when they happen? Because that's the thing that would bring the Red Sox back to the field. It's not a lack of talent. The Red Sox don't lack talent. I've always thought they lack depth. And we will see what happens. There is a lot to like about this team right now. Now, can they stay healthy? Can they be durable in a way that some of these players have not been durable in a number of years? It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Reminder, if you want to get in, you can. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line at 802-585-3026. Get one in there from uh, Max, who is down in Middlesex, who says, Brady, tough loss today, but you're right. It was a good baseball game. Wish Adovino would be better. If you're looking for something negative to nitpick on today, it's that. Adovino has not been great so far, and I, I was a champion of Adovino coming here. I thought it was a great move by Bloom to go get Adovino, and it was. They were talking about maybe on the broadcast bringing him into some lesser situations or some less lever, uh, lower leverage situations. I could do that, give him, some, give him an opportunity to get his confidence back up because he didn't have a great year last year stat-wise, and he hasn't been great so far this year through a couple of appearances. Maybe some lower leverage stuff for him in the early going, and uh, but by and large, this was a great game, so Max, appreciate you. If you ever miss any of the show, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and uh, just search for the Brady Farkas Show there. When we come back, I think the Red Sox are good, but I have a concern about depth, as I told you. Do the experts think that they're good? Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston. He's going to stop by with us next on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Hi, this is Evan Hallstrom. I race super late models with the Pro All-Star Series. You can follow me throughout the summer racing up and down the East Coast. I've always loved auto racing. Not only do I drive the car, but I build it with my dad. We're a small family-run team that has a lot of fun. I'm proud of the work that I do with the Governor's Highway Safety Program and the Vermont Highway Safety Alliance. Remember, click it or ticket. 
Follow me on my Facebook page at Evan Hallstrom Racing and Twitter at EvanHMS1 or my website at EvanHallstromRacing.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVRadio.com. Welcome back in, everybody. Brady Farkas Show on a Thursday right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVRadio.com. Joining us as he does every single Thursday at this time is our guy from WBZ News Radio in Boston. It's Adam Kaufman. Adam, how are you, man? What's up, big guy? How you doing? Good. We missed you last week because we had day Red Sox baseball. We had day Red Sox baseball today as well. Sox finishing up in Minneapolis. And let me just start here. Sox have played really good beyond the first three games of the season this year. Do you think they're actually good? Well, look, if you were going to, uh, let's say the Sox were, I mean, they're nine and three, but let's say they were, I don't know, five and seven. If you were going to bump me for those schlubs, then we'd have to have a conversation. <laughs> You're going to bump me for the first place Sox. I'm okay with that. <laughs> uh, I think they are good. I, I don't know if we talked about it. We probably did. My preseason projection for them was 87 wins. I didn't really understand how a lot of people were looking at them and, and saying this is a team it's going to be you know 75 79 like to me they're a, a mid 80s and above if everything breaks right sale comes back looks good healthy 90 plus win potentially you know i it's as a lot of like friends have been texting me there's there's definitely some 2013 vibes to this team right now and i'm not going to say they're going to reach that level that's a big ask but you know clearly we're seeing it on all sides they're fielding the ball well and that's kind of at the bottom of the spectrum compared to obviously the starting pitching over the last call it 10 games overall has been very very good since starting out 0 and 3 to Baltimore and they're tearing the cover off the ball they're leading the majors and doubles they're hitting home runs everyone's getting a ride in the laundry cart in the dugout it's been a good scene you know my preseason projection was 83 and 79 so I thought they'd be just over 500 but I did think they'd be over 500 my biggest question for this team is depth I just don't think they have a lot of it and I think they're good if everything is perfect. I just know it over the course of 162, not everything is perfect. Nathan Evaldi hasn't thrown 115, 150 innings since 2015. Garrett Richards hasn't thrown 75 innings since 2015. And outside mm-hmm. of Tanner Houck, like, who's there to save the day? And it's not going to be Chris Sale, in my opinion. So I think they're good. But when they hit the injuries or they hit innings burnout, I just don't know who's there. And that's my biggest reservation. Well, and you obviously didn't even bring up the uncertainties or potential uncertainties from Eduardo Rodriguez after, you know, missing all of last year, not pitching for north of a a full calendar year before coming back. And he's pitched well. He's 2-0 to start the season. I I think you're right. I mean, I don't worry about offensive depth. I think they got a lot of hitters. They got some guys, you know, buried down in, in Worcester right now, you know, whether it's Michael Chavis or uh, this army of utility guys that they signed in the off season. I think there, I think there's a lot of potential there as far as the bats go. I certainly understand the reservations when it comes to the arms. If a guy or two go down and uh, you know, they're not giving you that, that full complement of, of guys going out there every fifth day and the bullpen's holding up and all, I mean, like give us more of these seven inning double headers so that, yes. you know, for, if for no other reason than to not have that wear and tear, obviously on, on the pitching staff, but I think what it comes down to, and, and a lot of people talked about this in in spring training and the exhibition games and everything, is you know will they be so good offensively to be able to out-hit any potential pitching problems they run into? And I just happen to think they are. You know, I, right now they're you know winning some games 
whatever, eight, two, seven, one, you know, some lopsided games, you know, maybe at some point during the year, those games are looking more like seven to six or, or, you know, nine to seven or, uh, yeah. but I, you're going to get some of those. And I think that's okay. You know, I, I don't think this is the best pitching staff in baseball. I think it maybe was underrated in the spring and now we're getting to look at, at what they can be. But remember there is a, a difference, a, a difference between, what you can be and what you are like what we're seeing from the bats right now. I believe this is who they are. I yes. do believe this is what the offense is. The pitching staff. I think we're seeing what they can be. Water's going to find its level at some point, obviously, whether that is, you know, regression of the mean in terms of underperformances or like you alluded to potential injuries and stints on the IL and things like that. But uh, again, I, I think they're a good team. I think they're an above 500 team and a team that's going to compete for a playoff spot. I'm not going to look at, you know, a, a hot start and, you know, a, a long winning streak and say, yeah, of course, they're they're going to go and, and win the division running away. Like, there's a ton of talent in this division. The Yankees aren't going to suck forever. You know, the, uh, the Rays are a good team. The Blue Jays are built well. They added a lot in the offseason. Like, yeah. the only one that's not supposed to be good is Baltimore. And we saw what they did the first three games of the season yeah. against the Red Sox. So who the heck knows? It's going to be uh, interesting. It's definitely been fun to watch for the first two plus weeks of the season. Adam Coffin with us here in the Brady Farkas show on WDEV. Let's move to the Celtics. They're 29 and 26. They're all of a sudden playing better. The sky is no longer falling. Um, they're playing the Lakers tonight. Where do you think the Celtics are at right now? Are they good again? I was just talking to somebody about this uh, yesterday because he, and I know I've said this to you, I, I was talking to uh my guy DA over on, on CBS sports radio. And, and he was, he said, you know, the last time we had you on, you were saying you hated this team. You hated watching this team. How do you feel now that they've won four straight and six of seven or whatever it is. And, you know, I, I think this is a team that one. Yeah. I mean, the compete level is higher. It's a lot more fun to watch them there, but it, but it's, it goes beyond that. It goes beyond defensive identity. It goes beyond, you know, the, the give a bleep meter, it's, it's just unlocking aspects of guys games and, you know, on, on the weight, obviously full health, which they more or less have with the exception of Evan Fournier, who obviously remains in, in COVID protocols right now, but even Jason Tatum, you know, there's, we know who this guy is and, and what he has the potential to be. And, and he's an all-star, a budding superstar. Some would already say he's a superstar. I, yeah. I think that he is absolutely trending in that direction and he will be that guy but what you know what's what's so gratifying is seeing him at the uh, at the ripe old age of 23 continue to unlock facets of his game that really haven't been there and you know a, a prime example in in recent games is the attack and getting to the free throw line like this is a guy who should be there's been so much whining whether players on the floor people in the media about you know, not getting to the line enough, not getting superstar calls, not getting any calls, never mind superstar calls. And, you know, he should be going to the line six, eight, 10, 12 times in a game. Like the, that's, that's just the reality. This is what he should be doing. And he is, maybe he's just getting more calls now and, and we're in the, the midst of a, a good run, I guess. Like let's talk again in 10, 20 games. We'll find out. But right now, he is being more aggressive. It's less of the isolation. It's less of the hangout around the perimeter or taking the, you know, 18 footers. He's going to the hoop beyond just when he has a lane to go to the hoop. He's forcing his way to the basket and it's, it's leading 
to offense and it's it's making a big difference it's just a more exciting more interesting brand of basketball and uh you know from tatum on down you know it's there's but as far as who they are and what they'll be yeah it's a good run right now and they're going to win again tonight because the lakers don't have lebron or ad but they're not a contender at the moment like you'd be I'd, I'd have to really put on the the green rim glasses and and go full homer and and go you know find a, a you know whatever a Celtics equivalent of a cheese head would be and, and put it on my head and you know they're they're not a contender they're you know right now it's you know we talked about with the Red Sox like if things break right what they can be for the Celtics if things break right they go to the conference finals right now they're probably a second round exit and if they play like they had been you know, they like who knows? They go down in the in the play in tournament. So there there's just such a, a spectrum for this team right now. I tonight's different. LeBron and AD aren't playing. And I'm gonna catch grief for this. It's gonna sound like a hot take, but I've been saying this for years and wherever I've worked. I don't think Celtics Lakers is a rivalry anymore. I just don't think pro rivalries exist at, at all, except for Red Sox Yankees. It's the only long-standing rivalry that holds up. Other than that, it's cyclical. Like for the Patriots, okay, it was the Jets for a little while. Then it was Rex Ryan for a little while. Now it's sure. Buffalo because Buffalo's good. Like it's Baltimore it, for a bit. Yeah. So Celtics Lakers doesn't do anything for me anymore. Am I wrong in that? And just sounding like I'm not giving uh, proper respect to the NBA here. I think there's some semantics involved, and here's what I mean by that. I think that certain matchups just mean more. And if you want to call that a rivalry or not, you're kind of splitting hairs. Like with a rivalry. Let's talk Celtics Lakers. You know, basketball's better for never mind for Celtics and Lakers fans, for the NBA, for the league, for TV partnerships, for marketing. Like the basketball is better when both the Le- the Lakers and the Celtics are good and yes. competitive and and you can look at it and say like these two teams they could be on that championship finals matchup trajectory and build that thing all season and make a big deal out of it. When one team is great, Lakers, and the other is you know, mediocre or slightly above Celtics. No, of course it doesn't feel like there's a rivalry and isolated regular season matchups, you know, aren't always going to feel that way, especially like you said, when when one team is is missing all of its talent in the form of two guys. That being said, some games just feel bigger. Hmm. Not not more important per se, because you know, all wins, losses, they count the same in the regular season, but they just feel more interesting. They they have you maybe internally a little more interested in watching. You know, for the Celtics, that's absolutely the Lakers. It's the Sixers. In some ways, it's the Bucks. And that's that's where it gets cloudy because the Celtics and Bucks don't have a rivalry, but it's a more interesting, a more compelling matchup. In hockey, like you're just going to get up more for a Bruins Canadiens game then yeah. you are a Bruins Islanders game like we've got ahead of us tonight. You know, Red Sox, Yankees, it's a bigger deal than Red Sox, Orioles, and it always will be. Patriots, Jets, even if the Jets suck, it's just more interesting or or even to some degree because of Harbaugh, Belichick, Patriots and Ravens versus Patriots and Lions. You know yeah. what I mean? Like the, the certain games just feel more important so again you can call it a rivalry you cannot rivalries don't really matter they don't really matter until you get into the playoffs as far as i'm concerned i, I think that's really true across sports adam we'll get you out of here on this um it seems like we're get to the point where most or all nfl teams skip out on the voluntary workouts that are coming up the patriots mm-hmm. have said that many of their players will be skipping out on this but not necessarily all um 
How does this land for you with the Patriots specifically? Like, are you a guy who thinks that the players are right and they should be boycotting these things? Or are you as a Patriot fan saying, damn, I wish my team was together more often so they could do what we want them to do? It's so tough to answer because of where we're at in the world. And that's the genesis of this whole thing. Like if COVID weren't a thing, if a pandemic weren't a thing, if health concerns for players, families, and those close to them weren't a concern, if life were normal as we knew it, you know, a year and a half ago, then everyone would be there, <laughs> you know? So like, who am I to, to say like, you know, who are you, Devin McCourty, and your young family to skip out on being with your team right now? What kind of captain are you? Like, that's that's absurd. Like, I'm not in his house. I'm not in his body. I'm not in his family. I'm not, you know, like, I I get it as as a guy with a young family. I absolutely understand. Like, do you want to... Do you, do you want to go to camp and, and be amongst teammates with, you know, some are young and single and ignoring COVID product protocols, potentially, I'm not saying anyone is, but potentially, you yeah. know, they're out there just like living their lives or said, you know, pandemic fatigue and getting back to normal. And, you know, some guy comes into the room one day and there's a COVID shutdown. And now, now you've got it and your family's exposed. Like, I mean, nightmare scenario for for a lot of people i know some people scoff at this whole thing and think it's it's fake it's made up it's no worse than the flu well i mean like pay more attention to the science is what i would say to that but second of that you know there let's not ignore the risk that is involved on the part of the players who are skipping this thing there's a financial concern at play as well like guys are not going to get the same workouts, you know, on their Pelotons at home and, and with free weights as they are obviously with teammates at the training facility. It's just different. And heaven forbid any of these guys suffers an injury that is not football related in their own training. Well, it happened away from the facility. You didn't take part in voluntary workouts. Guess what? You're docked. Like you're not getting paid. And, you know, so there, there are two sides to this coin. So it's, I think there's a lot of, there would be a lot of hypocrisy for me or for anybody else to sit there and say, you know, how dare these players not do X or that they do do Y in the midst of a pandemic. Again, we can be, whether or not we should be, we can be a little bit more judgmental when it's life is what we knew, but it's not, it's just not right now. Adam Kaufman, WBZ news radio in Boston. You can check out his great podcast as well. Celtics beat. You can find it on Apple podcasts and Spotify. He's our C's insider also, but he's an insider of all things, Boston sports, new England sports. So Adam, we appreciate you, man. Enjoy Celtics Lakers tonight. Celtics going for win number 30 for a while. I never thought they'd get there, but uh, we'll talk to you again next week. I just can't believe we went that whole time without debating Julian Edelman's hall of fame case. So we I know you see- that. you seem to be really into that on social media. I got to tell you, like my last yeah. thought, I have realized through this whole thing, the Baseball Hall of Fame is the only one I care about. And now I'm a baseball fan at heart, so, like, I think that's part of it. But it's just – it's the only one that matters to me. Like, I don't care about the Football Hall of Fame, and I don't care about the Basketball Hall of Fame for the most part either as far as who gets in and who doesn't. Like, I just just don't even care if Edelman's a Hall of Famer. He's a Patriot (laughs) Hall of Famer, and that's what matters to me. Sure. I get it. You know, we could go on forever, but I know you're tight on time. To me, he uh, – the very short explanation without doing all the numbers and everything else is it would be foolhardy to sit here and say like Julian Edelman, no doubt about it. He's a hall of famer, but it would be equally dumb to me to ignore that there is actually a case to be made for why he could or should get in. Not, we're not talking like 2025, you know, when he's eligible, we're talking like 20, 30 years from, from now, 
you know, potentially on a veterans committee or whatever else. But there's absolutely a case to be made. And anyone out there that's ignoring it to me is just short sighted. I think for me where it comes down on is with baseball is that now we're getting to this point now in baseball where the game has changed and some of the numbers that used to mean things don't mean things anymore because everybody's homering and everybody's striking people out. Mm. But the the game has been played the same for so long that it's still easy to compare guys from 2000 to guys from 1970. In the NFL, the game has evolved so much. It's like yeah. you're trying to get me to compare Julian Edelman to – you know, Jerry Rice or something where it's just totally different eras. And I'm just not interested in doing that. And maybe maybe it's just lazy on my part. It feels too hard to go and do that and try to compare Edelman to somebody from the seventies or the eighties. And, you know, but like, right. now we're going to get to this point in the NBA. Everybody shoots threes now. And, you know, it's Mm going to be different guys are going to put up scoring totals. Like we never saw before. And we're going to start debating whether or not, you know, Marcus smart is a hall of famer in 15 years. So I don't know. I think that's my logic behind it. Well, look at it this way. LaMarcus Aldridge retired from the NBA earlier today. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, obviously, a, a irregular heartbeat, and that's you'd hate to see a guy go out like that. He will absolutely be an, a Naismith Pro Basketball yeah. you know, Hall of Famer. He will be. But it's a, it's a different museum. It's a different Hall of Fame. It's a different line of thinking. You know, it, he, like, you would laugh. People would laugh if you tried to insinuate the equivalent, whatever it would be, of his career to the NFL that he'd be a hall of famer or the NFL or his, the equivalent of his career to major league baseball, that he'd be in Cooperstown. His career is not in Canton or Cooperstown, but it's absolutely in Springfield. And it's just, these hall of fames are different. Adam, man, we'll talk to you next week. Appreciate your time as always. All right. All right. I went way too long with Adam news is next. Want Brady to hear your opinion on the sports stories of the day. Text in at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM FM and WDEV radio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas show right here on a Thursday, WDEV AM and FM and WDEV radio. Dot com reminding you to subscribe to the Brady Farkas Show podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and it's all thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. Not one person in the audience cares. 802-585-3026. Not one person in the audience cares, and that's perfectly fine, but what a colossal cluster the last commercial break was for me. So Adam and I go go six seconds too long, so my bad there. Um you know, we get to the news five seconds later than we're supposed to. That's my bad because I kept Adam on for too long. But Adam and I get going, and I just like talking to him. Then I press the, you know, I go to the news. That's great. I press the commercial break coming out of the news, and all of a sudden I got two things playing at once. I got things muted that are playing in the background. Now I got to put them back in to the system so they can play again later, so you can actually hear them. What a colossal screw up! The people are good. The people who come in in the morning are going to look and go. How many commercials played in the Brady Farkas show? Because it looks like 100 played. And I'll be like, no, it was just the normal amount. But the commercial settings are all screwed up, courtesy of me. So not one of you care about my plight. That's cool. But, uh, you know, just know that everybody screws up a little bit at their job. This was my screw up. The commercial log is now a mess because of me. So you can always get in. Though We are back on track, though. 802-585-585. 3026. Thanks to Adam Kaufman from WBZ News Radio in Boston for joining us a little while ago. You can find the interview online already. Our team has done a great job getting it up there. But the Red Sox lose today. They're now 9-4, and four, so Sox halt their winning streak at 9 thanks to the Minnesota Twins who win on a walk-off single by Max Kepler. And big news came down yesterday. 
Baseball is trying out two new rules in the Atlantic League. The Atlantic League is a very, very high level of independent baseball. So it's not Major League Baseball or Minor League Baseball, but it's guys that have those goals and a lot of guys that have played in the majors before that are kind of hanging on. So they're trying out two rules in the Atlantic League, and maybe these rules will eventually someday come to Major League Baseball. One of these rules I love and one I cannot stand, and I want your thoughts. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury, text line 802-585-3026. I'll start with the rule that I love. The rule change the Atlantic League is making that I love and I hope comes to Major League Baseball down the line. Beginning in the second half of this season in the Atlantic League, the Atlantic League is moving the pitcher's mound back from 60 feet 6 inches to 61 feet 6 inches. They're moving it back one foot. It'll be the first time the mound has been moved back in distance in 128 years. 128 years. The mound has been 60 feet 6 inches. The Atlantic League is coming along and pushing it back one foot. Now, I don't love that this rule change is going into effect mid-season. Guys in the Atlantic League are trying to advance careers and changing the dimensions mid-season without them being really prepared for it. Seems unfair to me. But beyond that, I like the spirit of the rule. I've said this a million times. Baseball needs the ball put in play. Simply put, everybody who has their take on what's wrong with baseball, oh, they don't market the stars enough, oh, the game's too long, oh, they're on too late, none of it matters. The thing that matters, the thing that is wrong with baseball is that the ball is not put in play enough. And I love baseball more than anybody. I don't like to see baseball changed. Baseball needs to be changed in this regard. We need the ball put in play. You want to talk about why young people don't like it. You want to tell me that it's boring. Everybody's got their, like, I got into an argument on Twitter about this with somebody. Telling me that baseball sucks is not a new take. Telling me that baseball is boring is not a new take. Tell me how to fix baseball. If you think it sucks, tell me how to fix it. And one of the ways you could fix it is what the Atlantic League is doing. 61 feet, 6 inches on the mound. And if you don't believe me that the ball's not put in play enough, here. If the current rate continues, the strikeout rate will have gone up 16 years in a row. What more do you need to know? 16 years in a row, the strikeout rate will increase if the pace continues this year, and it will. So if you think baseball's dying, that's the reason why. The ball is not put in play. It has nothing to do with time of game. It has everything to do with the number of swings and misses. There's too many of them. Pitchers throw harder than ever. The average fastball velocity is higher than ever. Hitters can't hit these guys like they used to be able to. And if you don't believe me on that, listen to this stat because it will blow your mind. 2010 is not that long ago, right? There are guys playing today that played in 2010. We're not talking about Honus Wagner and Ty Cobb era. We're talking about 2010. 
in 2010, there were 8,500 fewer strikeouts than there were in 2019. Let me repeat that. In 2010, there were 8,500 fewer strikeouts than there were in 2019. And that's not a coincidence. Guys throw harder. Pitchers get better. Pitchers are getting better at a rate that is outpacing the hitters. In a nine-year span, there were nearly 9,000 more strikeouts. That's what's wrong with baseball. The ball is not put in play. How do you combat it? You do what the Atlantic League is doing. Move the mound back by a foot. Okay. The reports came out. The science says that moving the, the mound back one foot would take nearly two miles an hour off a fastball and give guys a better reaction time. A 93-mile-an-hour fastball becomes 91. Maybe a 97 becomes 95. And you give hitters a chance. Look, I think the shift needs to be altered. That needs to happen. But the mound needs to be pushed back. And by the way, on a side note, as an unintended consequence, this would also keep pitchers safer because it would give them a little more reaction time on balls hit back at them. Hitters are hitting the ball. They're not hitting the ball that often, but when they do, they're hitting it harder than ever before, too. And I have been fearing the worst for a pitcher. Every time a ball goes back up the box, I'm waiting for the worst to happen. And, and I, I'm my hands are together, and I'm praying right now. I hope it doesn't, but I fear that it will one day. Giving the pitcher a little bit more reaction would make them safer. Giving the hitter a little bit more reaction would put the ball in play. People think it's bad to try to change baseball with this rule. Well, the mound hasn't been moved in 128 years. The game is different now. It's time for a change. The ball will be put in play more. There will be more action. The study also said pitchers won't get injured as much. You know, you know we wondered if changing the dimension of the field will make pitchers throw differently or cause injury. They said it won't. I'm not a scientist, but I'm believing it. If pitchers won't get injured by throwing from one foot further back, and by the way, I didn't even think about this. Pitchers are already throwing from further than 60 feet, 6 inches, because the catcher is not right on top of home plate. The catcher is 2 or 3 feet back as it is anyways. These pitchers are already throwing further than 60 feet, 6 inches. If they're not going to get hurt and they get a little bit longer reaction time so that they don't get hurt in a different way and hitters get the chance to put the ball in play and the ball is is there's more action that can only be good for baseball. I love this rule. Do you? Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line 802-585-3026. Steve is up in Milton. He says, Brady, um, I don't like people changing the game, but I think you're probably right here. This is one that doesn't seem like that big a deal. Every rule change in sports, it feels like, for the last five years, has been to aid offense. I have been banging this drum forever. In the NFL, pass interference, illegal contact. I mean, now we're not calling holding that much because we want points. The NBA, you can't play zone. You can't hand check. We want points. We want we want goals in hockey, so we change that. It's, it's no longer an enforcer's game. It's a speed game now in hockey, and we want goals. I don't want 
15, 13 baseball games. But I also don't always want 3-1 where the four runs are scored by homers and there's, you know, 36 strikeouts out of 54 outs or 46 strikeouts out of 54 outs. I don't want that. I love baseball almost as much as anybody. And I need the game to continue to be healthy. And I am so tired of baseball hit pieces. And I'm so tired of people telling me that baseball stinks. Well, if it stinks, it's because the ball's not put in play. The pitching has gotten too good. 9,000 almost fewer strikeouts in 2010 than in 2019. Move the mound back. Pitchers' arms are okay. Pitchers' heads are okay when we talk about safety on balls coming back at them. And hitters get a chance to hit the ball easier. Ball in action more chance to see great athletes. Baseball has great athletes, and you don't always know it because they're too busy swinging and missing. It used to be cool to see Randy Johnson throw 98 and strike out 12. It's not cool to see everybody throw 98 and strike out 12. That's where boring comes in. Rob Manfred, stop trying to fix the length of the game and get the ball put in play. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Continuing to take your text messages. The other rule change they're talking about in baseball is the idea of what they are calling the double hook. Okay? The double hook. And this would tie the designated hitter into the starting pitcher. Okay, it would tie the designated hitter into the starting pitcher. So follow me here. You would have the um, – every team would have a DH. Every team would have a DH in their starting lineup. But the minute that you remove your starting pitcher, you would lose your designated hitter. Okay, let me repeat that. The minute that you um, – the minute that you take out your starting pitcher, you would lose – your designated hitter. Mike Greenberg of ESPN had this idea five days ago. What we're going to have is we're going to have a universal DH. Every single major league game will be played with a designated hitter. That will obviously be important then. Every team will be built for it. And that'll be an important bat in every team's lineup. Oh, yeah. When you pull, when your starting pitcher stops pitching, when you take him out, you lose the designated hitter for the rest of the game. And I think that will incentivize teams to leave their starter in there. All we're asking for is one more inning. Mm -hmm. We just need one more inning from the starter. It will change everything. Okay, I don't like this rule. Text line open, 802-585-3026. So, Greeny says, it's meant to incentivize starting pitching. It's meant to take away all the trips to the mound and all the relievers coming in and create strategy on you know keeping your DH in the game. I don't like this for a couple of different reasons. First off, how many managers will leave their starting pitchers out there too long and now the starting pitchers are out there risking injury? I don't love that. Okay, The guy's got 87 pitches and he's laboring. But you know what, man, the, the, his spot, the DH is up first next inning. Let's try to get him to 95. And now he blows out an elbow. I'm not for that. I'm not interested in that. And second off, what happens if your starting pitcher gets hurt early? What happens if your starting pitcher leaves the game two batters in? Hey, Joe Smith has a blister, leaves after two batters, and now I've lost my DH for the game and he hasn't even hit yet? No. I'm not interested in that. 
What if you're – I mean, think about this one too. If you're the Red Sox, let's use let's use the Red Sox as an example. The Red Sox have J.D. Martinez as their designated hitter. The Red Sox get down 5 nothing in the first. They take their starting pitcher out. So now they lose J.D. Martinez. So now J.D. Martinez doesn't get to bat. The team that is down 5 nothing. The team that is down 5 nothing and losing now loses their, you know, in this case, one of their best hitters, now has a worse chance of coming back. That game feels essentially over. And then for eight, nine innings, I'm scrambling here, churning through my bench because I'm going to keep pinch hitting for the pitcher spot all throughout the game. I do not like this rule. I do not like this rule. It's either keep it as it is or it's universal DH for everybody, but I'm not in on tying the designated hitter to the starting pitcher. There's too many bad unintended consequences. Greeny says it will incentivize starting pitching. It would, but at the risk of all the other things that I just said. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3020. 26. Dean, who's in South Burlington, says, Brady, you lost me at Mike Greenberg. The first idea, moving the mound back, I agree with that. The Greenberg idea, no way. I'm with you, Dean. Steve up in Faston says, as a pitcher, you might know this. How hard will the adjustment be for the pitchers to throw strikes the extra foot? I don't think it's going to be that hard. The difference is that you're going to throw slower. There will be unintended consequences of this rule also, trust me, pitchers will try to readjust. Okay, As for throwing strikes, it will be different on your breaking ball and on your changeup. Balls that I already want to get down, like I want to bounce a changeup. On 0-2, I want to bounce a changeup and throw it 58 feet. I want to make you chase it. Well, now i got to throw it 59 feet, and that's different. Okay, It's going to take some time to get breaking balls and changeups down. But it's going, you're going to see pitchers, I think, that now with an extra foot for a pitch to break, there might be more pitchers that can throw change-ups and throw curveballs or throw sliders and get more movement. So back in the day, we all loved Barry Zito's curveball. We love Clayton Kershaw's curveball. That now gets an extra foot to break. There will be better off-speed pitches from this. Pitchers will still be good. They will figure out a way to readjust. But 97 becoming 95... We're going to, so you're going to lose some of the elite fastball and you're going to gain on your off-speed stuff. There will be unintended consequences here too. You will see guys with better off-speed pitches. 1,000% guys will have better off-speed pitches. But the losing the fastball is the most important thing. You, we just can't have it, okay? Everybody throwing 98 is a problem for the game. Everybody throwing 98 is a problem for the game. Okay, if you think the game is boring, that is why. It's not that it's too long. It's that it's never put in play. You know, the NFL, all the NFL games used to be at 105 and 405. A couple years ago, Fox and CBS said, you know what? We'll make them at 1 and 425. They've made the games three and a half hours instead of three, and no one complains. Why? Because they're fun to watch. Why are they fun to watch? Because they're entertaining. Why are they entertaining? Because people are scoring. If an NFL game took two hours and 27 minutes, but the final score was three to nothing, you tell me that was boring too. So it's not about time of game. It's not about pace of play. It's about lack of action. This Red Sox game today was three and a half hours. Okay, It was a long baseball game. It was a great baseball game. Why? Because things were happening, especially at the end. 
and there was excitement, and the game was in doubt. It was a great baseball game. Don't give me garbage about how long it is. Tell me about swings and misses. There's too many of them. They said, the study said that moving the mound back a foot would reduce swings and misses by more than 2%. And I don't have the exact number in front of me, but that doesn't seem like a lot. But reducing it by 2% would cut down. Oh God, they gave the exact number of, of swings and misses. It was a big number, actually, of swings and misses. It would cut down on strikeouts dramatically. It is the Brady Farkas Show. WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We just spoke to Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston. He's a huge Celtics guy. I encourage you to check out his Celtics podcast. It's called Celtics Beat. And the Celtics are taking the Laker, taking on the Lakers tonight at 10 o'clock. And I asked Adam, I said, are Celtics-Lakers still a rivalry? Here's what he said. Some games just feel bigger not not more important per se because you know all wins losses they count the same in the regular season but they just feel more interesting they they have you maybe internally a little more interested do you think celtics lakers is still a rivalry 802-585-3026 i'm not trying to sound hot takey and i'm not trying to discount history and i'm not trying to act like a young know-it-all but I'm here to tell you, in my honest opinion, Celtics-Lakers does nothing for me in terms of a rivalry. It doesn't feel like a rivalry. And you know why? Because generally in pro sports, there are no rivalries left. There are no consistent habitual rivalries left, I should say. Yankees, Red Sox, that is it. Bruins, Canadians, that's probably two. Beyond that, beyond that, I don't think rivalries in pro sports are really a thing. Everyone over 50 is going to hate me for saying that, but I don't think Celtics-Lakers is a rivalry because the rivalries are so cyclical now. Rivalries change every year based on who's good. You just don't get rivalries like you used to. Yankees-Red Sox, Habs-Bruins, those are old-time rivalries that can hold up. But beyond that, I don't know that any of them still do. Lakers-Celtics play twice a year. They went through periods where they were both bad and it just didn't matter. What made it so great in the past was that they played more in the regular season and they played in the playoffs every year. Now now we never see it. Okay, We haven't seen Celtics-Lakers in the playoffs in a decade plus. And, and with the advent of free agency, with so much good has come out of free agency, well, one of the bad things from it is it helps you lose rivalries because in the day – Everybody stays in in one spot. McHale and Parrish and Bird, they were all and they were all here, just like Magic and Kareem and Worthy. They were all there, and you developed a hate, and the rivalry was intensified. And now everybody leaves, and the players are come and go, and they're interchangeable parts. These players even go back and forth with each other. Rajon Rondo's played for both. Avery Bradley's played for both. There's no. There's no hate to build up because everybody you could be playing for the next team the next year. It just doesn't work like it used to. Okay, divisional matchups are conducive to rivalries, but I mean, look, Cowboys Washington, that's a divisional matchup. They've been irrelevant for 25 years essentially. They don't mean anything anymore. The divisional matchups are great, but they are cyclical based on who's good. I mean, think about it as the Patriots. Who do you consider your rival? Okay, it was it was the Jets for a while because the Jets were good. 
Then it was Rex Ryan because Rex Ryan went to Buffalo and he was always mouthing off. Now you'd say it's Buffalo because Buffalo's good. If Buffalo got bad, Miami got good, you'd say it's Miami. It has nothing to do. It's just who's good at the time. As a Seahawks fan, I would tell you the early part of the 2000s, I hated the Rams. Greatest show on turf, Seahawks always lost to them. I could not stand the Rams. Then it got to be I could not stand the 49ers when they got good with Kaepernick and Harbaugh and Anquan Bolden, and they were mouthy, and the Seahawks were mouthy. Then it was the Cardinals because the Cardinals always beat the Seahawks. So it changes based on who's good. Like Cleveland and Pittsburgh used to be a rivalry. Was that – I mean – the Browns were irrelevant for 20 years. Maybe they can be a rivalry again because Cleveland looks like they're good. Or maybe Pittsburgh will be bad and Baltimore will be rivals with Cleveland. I don't know. Is Cincinnati rivals with anybody? They used to be rivals with Pittsburgh. Now they're rivals with nobody because they're a doormat. Rivalries matter based on who's good. They no longer matter like they used to. Celtics-Lakers tonight is a basketball game being played between two teams that hardly ever see each other. They have rich histories. Older fans will love tonight's matchup for what it used to be. I will just love tonight's matchup because it's basketball on my television. Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury, text line 802-585-3026. Tim in uh, Charlotte says, Brady, I think you're wrong. I think this still has some cachet to it. Like Adam says, some matchups just mean more. I'd always like to beat the Lakers more than the Grizzlies. Well, you'd like to beat the Lakers because the Lakers were the champions. You'd like to beat the Lakers because LeBron plays for the Lakers and you don't like LeBron. So maybe LeBron is your rival and not the Lakers. Okay, LeBron leaves Cleveland. You're not rivals with Cleveland anymore. LeBron leaves Miami. You're not rivals with Miami anymore. Maybe you're rivals with LeBron. So if that's what's keeping the rivalry up, then fine. But when LeBron leaves or retires, you're not going to be rivals with the Lakers anymore. And that's just my opinion on it. It's a Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Uh, I'm going to save who's saying what. I've got something good there that I want to uh, give more time to. But uh, when we come back, multiple NFL teams, including the Patriots, have opted out of voluntary off-season programs that are set to start soon. It feels like, to me, the players are using coronavirus to get something they've always wanted. And I have a problem with that. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. You're listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast, brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center, with locations in Middlesex, St. Albans, Swanton, Enosburg, and Derby, and online always at sticksandstuff.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Reminding you that the show brought to you by the good people over at Evan Holstrom Racing. And Evan Holstrom himself, 18 years old. He is uh, one of the top racers in all of Vermont in the uh, 2021 Pro All-Star Series Super Late Models. He's going to race at Loudoun this weekend. They pushed the races back, though, a day, so... Uh, Evan back in action this weekend, though a day later than scheduled at Loudon in New Hampshire. EvanHolstromRacing.com. You can find his full schedule and all of his results. Find out who his sponsors are and support them as well. So uh, EvanHolstromRacing.com. Follow him on social media also. 
Steve says on the text line, 802-585-3026, I'm a Pats season ticket holder. The Pats and Jets is still the rivalry. Boston hates New York, period. Fair enough, but I, I just think that if the Jets are 2-14 and 14, or 2-13, and 13, you get a whole lot of satisfaction out of beating them at the end of the year. You know, I don't. I think they got to be good. So I want to stay on that, though, on football. Multiple teams have already opted out of voluntary offseason programs that are set to start soon, and many more will be next. The Patriots are going to have, quote, many players opt out. And let me just speak generically first before I get to the Patriots themselves. The NFL players, the Players Association, is citing coronavirus as the reason why they don't want to go to voluntary programs. And they are correct in saying that Last offseason, they were all virtual until training camp, and they still delivered a high caliber of play. They are right about that. I cannot say that they are wrong. They certainly accomplished a lot last season virtually and remotely, and we saw, for the most part, pretty darn good football last year. But I have a huge problem with people using coronavirus to their own personal benefit. And that is what I feel like is happening among the NFL Players Association. We complain, we complained, ugh, all election season about the virus being politicized, okay? It felt like, and I don't care which party, it felt like both parties were using coronavirus to undermine the other party. It felt like the virus had become a political tool, and we all hated it, okay? I hated it at least. And it feels like the NFL Players Association is utilizing coronavirus as a tool for itself to simply get out of these offseason programs. The NFL Players Association has wanted out of these voluntary programs for a while, and now that they've shown they can do it virtually, they want out of it for good. And if you don't believe me, Kevin Seifert of ESPN says that's pretty much exactly the case. And so uh, last year, as you know, there was this uh, they had a virtual offseason because of COVID and the NFLPA's position was that the season, the quality of play and, and everything about the season, uh, nothing suffered from that. So in their belief, it's uh, it's easier to um, on the body uh, wear and tear to to avoid most of these offseason workouts. And so the NFLPA uh, has actually been pushing for a virtual permanent virtual offseason uh, COVID or otherwise. Um, and uh, just to just to reduce wear and tear on their body. So they've been pushing for a virtual offseason, COVID or otherwise, just to reduce the wear and tear on their bodies. I do not doubt that there are some players that are concerned about coronavirus still. Okay, I, I do not doubt that. Players with young families, players that haven't been vaccinated yet, players that aren't eligible to be vaccinated yet, players that are going to cities where coronavirus is at a higher rate or states where it's at a higher rate or players that are worried about their teammates and what they might be doing. I do believe there are players with legitimate concerns about showing up because they're still fearful of COVID. And I have 100% respect for those players. But on the surface, on the whole, as Kevin Seifert just said, I believe that the players are utilizing the virus as a tool And this feels like a very, very dirty negotiating tactic to me. I hate it when politicians did it. I hate it when athletes are doing it now. And they are, look, and think about your own life. Think about your own career. How many of you are listening now live or listening on the podcast later and thinking to yourself, I work from home. I never want to go back in the office. 
I can do so much remotely, I never want to go back. The NFL players are no different. They know they have to go back for training camp. They know they have to go back for uh, for the season. But they think that they can do everything else remotely just like everybody else does. And how many of you are sitting at home thinking, you know what, I, I would – I never want to go back in. I talked to my to my best friend recently who's in business, and he's like, yeah, I haven't been in the office in a year. I'm not going to go back until October, and even then I might go one day a week. Like, he's never going back. And well, you just why, why aren't you going back, buddy? Well, we showed we can do everything remotely. There's no point. That's what the NFL players think. They are utilizing the virus, though, to their advantage, and that just feels dirty to me. Something that has killed a half a, a, half a million people doesn't in, in this country alone doesn't feel like it should be used as a negotiating ploy for your business purposes, and that's what it feels like. And I also think, in addition to just saving your body, I also think this is a negotiating ploy by veterans to keep jobs. And what I mean by that is, is that if young, because young players are going to be hurt by this, young players that won't be able to get FaceTime and impress coaches, young players that uh, can't, you know, that need that extra time to make teams or keep jobs, they're not going to have those opportunities. And veteran players who have name recognition and name cachet now have a better opportunity to hold jobs. And I think ultimately the, the Players Association generally cares about benefits or generally cares about um, veterans rather than it does the young players. Um, Secondarily, that was the NFL as a whole. Secondarily, on the Patriots themselves, the Patriots said, interestingly enough, not all their players were skipping. They said, quote, many of their players were skipping. So there will be players that show up. And Jeff Darlington of ESPN said that's going to present an interesting dynamic. This is quite the predicament, and probably more so on the player's side than necessarily on the team side. And that's mostly because they're going to have to have some cohesiveness in their messaging here. And part of that involves the fact that there's 203 players with incentives tied to these off-season programs that players need to show up to get that money. You're going to have 203 players that are essentially going to be crossing the picket line to make sure that they get their money. Then you also have guys that will be going out to fields to practice, and if they get hurt out there... That's a problem for them contractually as well. So you have a couple different things that Darlington said. So young guys might show up and they're going to be viewed as what? Scabs? You have guys that uh, are injured in rehabbing that need to be in front of trainers that might be viewed as crossing the picket line. That would be a problem as well. So how players are perceived is very, very interesting in all this. And then you have guys that are going to work out alone. And if they get hurt, well, that's going to cause a world of problems for them also. So... You'll have Patriot players show up, but it'll be very interesting how they are received, the ones that do. From a pure fan standpoint, like, you can't love this, right? Like, we want the Patriots to win the Super Bowl, and their best way to win the Super Bowl, I think, is to be together as much as possible. So, voluntary workouts, if you can get most of the team there, that helps build chemistry, build cohesion. Cam gets to work with the new receivers and the new tight ends. Like, that's what I'd want. Now, it's a pandemic, so I'm I'm more sensitive to it but you know as a football fan you want your team around each other as much as possible the real problem with all this is that these um these voluntary workouts have essentially become mandatory like guys feel like they have to come remember 
what a big deal it was a few years ago when Gronk skipped and then when Tom Brady skipped, it was a huge deal. And I mean, well, hey, it's, it's voluntary. Well, it doesn't feel voluntary. It feels like everybody has to go essentially. And, you know, so the NFList players are trying to take some of the power back. I just don't like the way that they are doing it. So Brady Farkas show WDEV AM and FM and WDEV radio.com. I got it. Let's see. I got it. They said, or who's saying what, but I think I got to save that for tomorrow, guys. Give me crazy Twitter takes first. The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah. They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The, the internet. internet. It's time for crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. All right, crazy Twitter takes from the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Mike Felger, Boston radio host. This one got unearthed from 2009, talking about Julian Edelman. So this is Felger in the first preseason for uh, for Edelman, talking about the Patriots wide receiver. I covered Troy Brown. I've watched Troy Brown his entire career. I know Troy Brown. Julian Edelman is not Troy Brown. Oh, I am so with you. If I were Troy Brown, I'd be insulted by that. Stop with that. He, Julian Edelman is a nice is a nice August player. He's a nice preseason football player. I call him Mr. August. And maybe somewhere down the road, he'll, he'll fill a role for you. But that is not Troy Brown. Stop with that. You That's know, another danger. I'll tell you. First off, that's just a great find by whoever found that, okay? Obviously, Edelman is a Patriots Hall of Famer and a borderline pro football Hall of Famer, according to some people. I don't care that much, but, you know, it's just a great find by whoever unearthed that. That is a classic preseason football take, by the way. And I actually sympathize with Felger here. I don't like Felger all that much, and he said some things that I think are really, really reprehensible, but I sympathize with him here. August, you're trying to react to some game that means nothing of players you don't really know. You're trying to come up with topics and things to talk about. Like, it's now easy to look back after a 12-year career and make fun of him. But in the moment, we do that every year. We talk about guys. I remember it was Austin Carr one year for the Patriots. And then it was Jacoby Myers. And, you know, you're doing that every year trying to figure out which guys from the preseason may or may not stick and who's for real. So I sympathize with Felger there, even though it's funny to uh, to look back on. But second off, on a to a much bigger point, at least to me, kind of similar to our last one here about young players, the idea of taking away a preseason game, which the NFL has done, it's going to be three preseason games and 17 regular season games this year, this feels like another way to get more veterans' job and restrict more stories like Julian Edelman. Like, doesn't it feel that way? Veterans want their jobs, and they want to be protected, and they want their positions, and if we get one fewer preseason game – we're going to lose the opportunity to get some of the stories of a Julian Edelman, of a Jacoby Myers, of a Victor Cruz with the Giants. I mean, I haven't been a fan of ditching a preseason game. I know the players love it. The veteran players love it because it keeps them safer and gets you to the season faster. The established players do, but I think guys who are looking to make a roster like Edelman did back in 2009, I think they I think they may feel a little bit differently about this. I, I'm not a fan of ditching a preseason game because I want to give guys an opportunity to make a roster like Julian Edelman had, and you're just not going to see it. You're not going to see it as easily. And you know, between, you don't want a virtual off season. Young guys can't get in front of coaches. You don't want four preseason games. Now it's harder for young guys to get in front of coaches. It just feels like 
veterans are looking to protect themselves. And it doesn't surprise me. That's always the way it is. Okay, the the established people don't want the new people coming around taking their jobs. I wouldn't want the intern taking my job either. But it feels like the veterans are kind of colluding amongst themselves to make it very, very difficult for the young guys to get an opportunity. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. When we come back, i got to go on a rant. I've got to go on a rant when it comes to the Patriots and when it comes to the NFL. I've been bottling this up for three days. We've had all these day games that we haven't had shows and or we've had short shows, and i got to finally do it. I've been sitting on this for three days, and i got to get to it. The Patriots and the NFL, I am tired of it, and I just don't care anymore. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Final segment, Brady Farkas Show right here, WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Reminder, we came on after Red Sox baseball today. Sox lose to the Twins. The nine-game win streak is over. Sox scheduled to take on the Chicago White Sox tomorrow. We'll have the pregame show for you at 610, although rain is expected. I have no idea if that game will happen. But again, 610 with the pregame show, that means we'll have the Brady Farkas show only for a half an hour live, but we will have something special on the podcast channel uh, exclusive for you there. So subscribe. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Okay, I got about six minutes left here. Can I just rant on something here when it comes to the NFL and the Patriots? I heard this earlier this week. Mel Kuyper Jr., draft expert for ESPN, longtime expert. He's got the Patriots trading up in the draft to get quarterback Justin Fields out of Ohio State. This is in his latest mock draft. He's got the trade happening. He's got the Pats coming up to number 10 to get Fields. Here's Mel on the Pats with Fields. But I think when you look at the mixed opinion, could allow him to slide down. When we know the top three are locked in, then it becomes Trey Lance or Justin Fields for the fourth spot. If it is, in fact, Trey Lance, and that's kind of consensus I heard when I made the calls over the weekend, Greeny, then Justin Fields is available. Now, does Denver, what happens with the Washington football team, what happens with Chicago? There are other teams that couldn't make that move, but I think New England, to me, is front and center. Whether they want to stay at 15, they could, but then who's going to be their quarterback? Yeah, down the road. Look, I would absolutely love if the Patriots got Justin Fields, okay? I would absolutely love it. I would love it if they got him to be the quarterback of the future. That is what I want. I have been calling for the Patriots. I've said it a zillion times. They need a quarterback. I want them to get a quarterback of the future. I want them to trade up for a quarterback. I want them to be aggressive in, in trading up for that quarterback. And if they don't take a quarterback in round one, they need to find a way to get one in round two. But beyond that... We are two weeks away from the draft. Beyond that, I am completely done. I am completely fed up and over Patriots quarterback speculation, and I am done with mock draft season. Like, let's just get to the damn draft. I don't want to hear anymore about trade speculation for Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't want to hear anymore about trade speculation for Teddy Bridgewater. I don't want to hear about how Marcus Mariota could be a fit in a trade. And I'm tired of seven-round mock drafts telling me the Patriots will draft people that I've never heard of. And if I've never heard of them, the odds are that you haven't heard of them either. And I'm not trying to say that I know more than all the listeners, but most of us don't know everybody in a seven-round mock draft. We don't need it, and we don't need it anymore. Let's get to the draft. 
when it comes to the quarterback speculation, every single day there's a new name out there, and it's a new under-the-radar fit. This guy can fit the scheme. I am checked out on it. Okay, The other day it was Kellen Mond of Texas A&M, and before that it was Davis Mills of Stanford. I'm over it. I'd love for the Patriots to trade up to 10 or 8 or 4. I don't care, and get Justin Fields. I'd love for that to happen. If they do, I will be thrilled, and I will I will dance. I, I'll probably sing on this show if they're able to do that. That would be amazing. But I don't care anymore about mock drafts. We just need the draft. I will watch every minute of the draft. When the draft is going on, I will watch every minute of it Thursday through Saturday. And we will react to it after, and we will break it down, and we will talk about things, and we'll bring on insiders to tell us about who the Patriots got. But beyond that, let's just get there. I'm over it. I'm tired of it. I used to I used to rip people who said they didn't like the draft. I used to rip people who said they didn't like the draft buildup and the draft hype. I think I'm one of those people now. There's just too much of it. There's just too much of it. Quarterback speculation, trade scenarios, seven-round mock drafts, people we've never heard of. Here's what I want the Patriots to do. I want them to trade up. I want them to take a quarterback. I want them to solidify the future in the way that I think they've solidified the present. And it's that simple. And if they stick at 15, I'm going to be disappointed. Because I don't think they need a tackle. I don't think they need a D lineman. I don't think they need a DB. They need all of those things, but in the first round, they need a quarterback. I love that Mel says they'll get the they'll they'll get Fields, but on the same day that Mel says they'll get Fields, I see Kellen Mond and Davis Mills. I, I'm just over it. I'm just over it. I get a text in on the Napa Morrisville Napa Waterbury text line from. Uh, ironically enough, not Davis Mills, but Davis, who's in Cambridge, who says, Brady, I'm with you. I'm a Giants fan. I've been looking at mock drafts for two and a half months. I'm just I'm just ready for the draft to get here. Hope the Giants get Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle, the receiver out of Alabama, certainly quick, certainly athletic, was injured last year in the national championship game. And, you know, we saw him try to gut it out, but it became the Devontae Smith show. In that one, I, look, I don't know if the Giants are going to get Jalen Waddle. For you, I hope that they do, and compare him with Sterling Shepard and Kenny Galladay, and that'd be great. But um, it's mock draft season, man. I just think about like I probably saw my first mock draft, you know, after the Super Bowl ended. So we're talking about over two months ago. By the time the draft comes, it will have been three months of mock draft speculation. It's nearly the time it takes from the World Series to spring training. Like, that feels like a, a long time. We've had too much of it. It's oversaturated. I'm done with it. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Again, the Red Sox lose. They are now 9-4. and four. The death blow for the Sox that they came in the bottom of the ninth inning, Max Kepler off reliever Adam Adovino. Adovino continues to struggle since he got to Fenway. Here it was. Here's how it sounded right here on WDEV. Swinging a fly ball, center field, sinking fast. It drops for a hit, and it's going to win the ball game. Get too softly, and scoring the winning run is out of rise. The Twins and the Red Sox win streak with a 4-3 victory. A soft bloop single by Kepler 
in the ninth inning. His only hit of his series. But the Sox do take three of four. They take three of four in the series. They sweep the doubleheader yesterday, and now they are on to face the White Sox. White Sox lost today to Cleveland, but the White Sox are a good team. They made the playoffs last year. Carlos Rodon just threw a no-hitter last night, so they'll see him scheduled to on Monday in that Patriots Day game. So remember, 6-10 tomorrow with the pregame show. At least that's what it's scheduled to be. There might be rain. There might be a postponement. Who knows exactly, but uh, if the game goes off as scheduled, Brady Farkas' show will be on for a half an hour, live 5.30 to 6, but we will have a full show on the podcast channel. We're going to be joined tomorrow by Andy Mazer, former White Sox broadcaster, who can give us a little insight on the pale hose. So, Sticks and Stuff, Swan and Lumber, sponsor the podcast. Go download it. See you tomorrow, everybody, on WDEV.